Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and each cried out. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Jonah began to go into the city, and the people of Nineveh believed God. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east, till he should see what would become of the city. Jonah, a fishy tale about a faithful God. Well, good morning. That was weak. Good morning. That's better. That's better. We have a great God, do we not? We have a faithful God, a God who has promised never to leave us nor forsake us. He is the God who is in control of every uh, event in our lives. And as we have been studying the book of Jonah, we've discovered that God is in control. Jonah thinks he's in control, but Jonah is not. God is still on the throne. We're so glad to have all of you here. We want to welcome those of you online as well. Uh, this is a wonderful day to worship and to praise our great God. And we're so thankful for each one of you. And for those of you that are visiting guests, we want you to feel right at home here at Liberty Bible Church. Uh, just a couple of updates. I thank the Lord for his faithfulness. This past weekend, we had a wonderful time of interviewing uh, one of our top candidates. God is doing some miraculous things as you have been praying and trusting God and we want you to keep on praying and keep on believing God because God is at work in wonderful ways. The other thing I want to remind you about in just a couple of weeks uh, I have along with the elders invited a young couple to come and to become our pastor of spiritual formation and sports ministry. Now, this is something that we've been working on now for the last number of months and uh, it is just a delight to bring this young family here. And probably in a couple of weeks as the elders interview him and he is approved, uh, then we will allow uh, you to have an opportunity to meet him. We'll have a, an opportunity to have him give his testimony in the worship service. And then that evening, uh, there will be a special time where you can uh, get to know him and ask questions and there can be just some wonderful dialogue. So we are anticipating that may be on August the 15th. So it's just a couple of weeks away, but I want you to be praying very specifically uh, for this process. We've got a lot going on with the lead pastor uh, and 
interviewing him this last weekend, and then we're going to be bringing in this other uh, candidate to be part of our pastoral staff team. Uh, and he will be overseeing all the life groups. He'll be overseeing the discipling program, as well as leading our sports ministries, which is one of the fabulous ways we can penetrate this community. I don't know if you understand. We have a disc golf course out here. Did you know this? We have a disc golf. We, we, we have an opportunity. In fact, it is the community comes on a regular basis to play. But we want to develop basketball and outreach and soccer and all kinds of things that are reaching out into the community. And this young man is going to be able to do that. We've been working with Pastor Kevin Cram because he's been kind of overseeing all of the discipleship areas. But we want to kind of move him into a sweet spot, which is local outreach and evangelism. And so Kevin will begin to take over those particular areas in this a young family that's coming in to uh, be our pastor of spiritual formation and sports will be giving leadership to our small groups uh, and to our discipling ministry. So you be praying. God is doing some wonderful things, and we just want to praise him for his faithfulness, for his goodness, and his grace. God is at work, and we praise him, and thank you for all of your faithfulness. Lots is going on, and uh, uh, there's more things that we'll be announcing here in just a, a few weeks as we uh, talk to you a little bit also about the uh, complete renovation of our campuses that we're going to be talking about in probably another two or three weeks. So keep your Sunday evening schedules as clean as possible for the next number of weeks, okay? Because there's all kinds of things that we want to bring you into the conversation and uh, you just keep focusing on Jesus, and we'll do everything we can to keep you updated as to how God's at work in so many wonderful ways. Now, this morning, I want you to take your Bible, please, and turn with me to the book of Jonah. And again, keep your Bibles open to this. If you have a, uh, an iPad or a phone or whatever you use, keep your Bible open to Jonah chapter 3 because we're going to camp out in this chapter and again, the message will not mean a lot to you if you can't follow along. And so I want you to check up on me today. Make sure that what I say is right in the text because it's so important that we understand, uh, once again, how God is at work in a unique way in Jonah's behalf. Now I want you to please stand. We're going to read a few verses here in Jonah chapter 3. Let's stand in honor of the Word of God. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. And uh, words are up on the screen. Let's read them together. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Father in heaven, open our eyes and our hearts to the truth that you want us to grasp in these moments. We'll praise you forever in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.
Second chances are hard to come by. They usually occur few and far between. And when second chances do come, it's really incumbent upon us to take advantage of that second chance that God many times gives to us even though we don't deserve it. Back in 1929, the national championship was being played in the storied Rose Bowl between the University of California and Georgia Tech University. There was a player on that team by the name of Roy Regals. And Roy Regals was an outstanding linebacker for the University of California. In the first half, he recovered a fumble and somehow got confused and took and carried the ball in the wrong direction and almost scored a touchdown for the opposing team. You can take a look at it up here on the screen. You can see what happens. How about the most famous case of misdirection in the history of football? Wrong way, Roy Regals retrieves a fumble, then rockets 60 yards to the end zone. Roy, great play, wrong way. Roy Regals, his own man, had to, had to tackle him on the one-yard line. University of California wasn't able to move the ball. They had to punt. And what happened is the punt was blocked, and Georgia Tech recovered that in the end zone for a safety, which proved to be the true margin of the win. Well, the half ended, and everybody had on their minds, what in the world is the coach going to say to Roy Regals? Now, if you've ever played football, and uh, you've made a mistake like that, you know at halftime, the coach can have some pretty choice words. He can, he can really lay in. This time, however, the coach and the team and Regals, they went into the locker room, their locker room, and it was stone silent. Regals sat in a corner with a towel over his head, crying like a baby. Not a word is said in that locker room. Finally, the two-minute warning comes, and they're supposed to get ready to go out in the field. Coach hasn't said a word. This is all he says. The same team that started the game starts the second half. Go out. Let's win this game. All the team go out on the field except Roy Regals. He sits there. He says, Coach, I can't go out on the field. The coach said, Regals, did you hear me? The same team that started the first half, I want them to start the second half. And Regals said, Coach, I can't. He said, I've embarrassed you. I've embarrassed the University of California. The fans are going to boo me off the field. I can't do it. And the coach went over and put his hand on Regals' shoulder pads, and he said, Roy, he said, the game's only half over. I want you to go out there, and I want you to play your heart out. Regal looked up at his coach. His eyes were drenched with tears, and he said, okay, coach. Regals went out and played a second half of his life. We don't know all the events that took place. And even though the University of California lost by that safety, the Georgia Tech players will tell you that Roy Regals played like a tiger on that field. I mean, he blocked punts. He 
tackled guys behind the line of scrimmage. He intercepted passes. He was, he was out, he left his heart on that field. Why? Because the coach believed in him and gave him a second chance. When I read the story of Roy Regals, I say, what a coach. And there is a stunning statement here in Jonah chapter 3 and verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, and I say, what a God. What a God after everything that Jonah has been doing. He's been running from God. He's caused all kinds of problems to those Marines. He's been thrown overboard. God's miraculously preserved him. He has messed up time and time again. And here in Jonah chapter 3 and verse 1, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. And that tells us something about the greatness of our God. It's amazing to me that God gives us, when we mess up, so many second chances. Just like that coach gave Roy Regals a second chance. And as God gives Jonah a second chance, many of us, God has given second, third, fourth chances to us for us to follow him and to put our focus upon him. And the message of Jonah chapter 3 is we have a great God. Can we say amen? We have a great God who doesn't give to us what we deserve. We've just been singing about that. His mercy is more. We've been singing about the fact that God is merciful, He's gracious, He's slow to anger, and He's very generous toward us even when we do not deserve it. Now, so far in our study of Jonah, we have discovered that here's a man who's on the run, who thinks he knows better than God. God gives him a direct command to go to Nineveh and preach against it because its evil has gone up to him. He sees the evil. He commissions Jonah to go and be his mouthpiece and cry out against the sin, the evil of Nineveh. But Jonah takes matters into his own hands. He goes his own way causes all kinds of problems to come to the Marines on that ship that he was on. And eventually, they have to throw all the cargo overboard to spare the ship. Uh, in the process, they actually believe in the one true God. They try to row against the currents, this incredible storm. They wanted to preserve Jonah, but when they understand that, that this storm is not going to quiet down until he's thrown overboard, they throw him overboard. Chapter 2, he is in deep trouble. And after three crisis events, only after that third crisis moment does he call out to God and he repents and he makes a vow and he ends his prayer with thanksgiving. He says, Lord, okay, I get the point. You're pursuing. I can't run from you. There's no way I can escape your presence. And so, God, I'm going to do exactly what you say. And so in the belly of that fish, we talked about that last week, Jonah comes clean with God. And he ends up doing exactly what God wanted him to do. In fact, he is so intent on doing what God wants him to do, it is even greater than his intent was to run away from God because he met God in a unique way. Now we come to this particular chapter, and we see now that Jonah has been expelled from the fish. 
And he is on a mission now in chapter 3 to do exactly what God wants him to do. Now, let's take a look at what happens when Jonah gets to the city. First of all, we discover in verse 2 of chapter 3 that he speaks God's word. Now, the second time around for Jonah would not be a picnic. You take a look at what the text says. It is man versus a huge metropolis. Man versus metropolis. Notice, he says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. A little bit later, he speaks about the fact that Nineveh in verse 3 was not only a great city, but it was, notice, an exceedingly great city. Jonah is going into a huge metropolis. Indeed, at this particular time, Nineveh is the largest city in the ancient world. Its circumference was some 50 to 55 miles, and some speculate that there were more than a million people living in Nineveh at the time Jonah is commissioned to go and cry out against it. Jonah is like a needle in the proverbial haystack. He is one man against a metropolis. How would you feel if God called you and said, I want you to go to Chicago and I want you to cry out against the evil in that city? That's pretty much the commission that God gave to Jonah. Go into a metropolis. You don't know anybody. Nobody knows you. And I want you to cry out against the evil that is in the city. Now, there's a very interesting change that takes place between the first time God calls Jonah to go into the city and the second time. Remember the first time he calls him in chapter 1 and verse 2. Notice, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, the second time God gives him the order, you see it this way. Verse 2 of chapter 3, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Underscore these next few words. The message that I tell you. Put a circle around this. Look at the text. This is so important. When we understand that the first time that God calls him to go to the city... He just says, call out against the evil. And that may be in one of the reasons why Jonah ran away. He didn't know what to say. He didn't know what to do. He is just called by God to call out against the evil in this city. But the second time, notice the text, chapter 3 and verse 2. He says, call out against it the message that I tell you. That is God's game plan. Man versus metropolis, but call out against the evil with the message that I'm going to tell you. Now, that had to be something that resonated with Jonah. Because remember, he has been broken before God in the belly of that fish. And now God tells him, I am not sending you into that city alone. To the contrary, 
I am going with you. What's more, I'm going to give you the very message that you're supposed to proclaim to the people. And this is amazing to me. Nineveh at this time is one of the most hideous and violent and terroristic people that have ever lived. In fact, these are the forerunners of ISIS. If you follow that along the way in which ISIS mutilates and, and tramples over people, these people living in Nineveh, they were just like ISIS. In fact, you'll remember if you follow the news that ISIS destroyed the tomb of Jonah in Mosul. This city was known for evil and terrorism and violence. They didn't know nor did they recognize the true God. They worshipped idols. They were polytheists. They were constantly at war with themselves and with their neighbors. And it's into this metropolis, this evil metropolis that God sends Jonah to preach the message that God says, I am going to give to you. Now, friends, when God speaks, God's word is never complicated, nor is it hard to understand. And God tells him exactly what to say. Notice in verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. He only got a little bit into the city. Remember, the city is three days' journey from one end to the other. He only gets into a third of the city, and he cries out against it. What is the message? Yet 40 days, verse 4, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. God's will, my friend, is found in God's Word. And when God speaks to us from His Word, we need to sit up and take notice. God doesn't stutter. He doesn't babble. He doesn't play games with us. God lets us know in this book exactly how we are to live. And I've said this over and over again, you always want to be under the authority of this book. This book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. And so this is a book of truth. And when we build our lives on the truth that is found in God's Word and do exactly what Jonah did, proclaim the Word of the Lord and put ourselves under the authority of God's Word, God always accomplishes in us incredible things. You take a look at the history of revivalism that took place in the early part of the 19th century when England was at its worst, when it was filled with moral decay and, and injustice and there was sin and violence. God raised up John and Charles Wesley to preach the Word of God and it sparked a complete revival that swept all of England. Why? Because John and Charles Wesley preach the Word of God. Same thing can happen in 1948 when Billy Graham was in Los Angeles. And he was only going to be there for a week or so. He ended up being there for seven, eight weeks preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and that whole city 
was transformed, and Billy Graham went on to be an evangelist to the nations. He spoke to more people during his lifetime than any other human being. And at his memorial service, more people heard the gospel than had heard him preach because he preached a message of God's love and repentance and new life in Jesus Christ. Friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ is transformational. This book is transformational. And Jonah, though he's been fighting God for a long time at this point, he proclaims the word of God. Number two, he sparks a spiritual awakening. Now I want you to notice how God's word works in the hearts of these people who again were polytheistic, heathens, wretches, violent, terrorist kind of people. He speaks the word of God, and the word of God does incredible things. First of all, in verse 5, God's word pierces their minds. Notice, he preaches the word, and the Bible says, and the people believed God. Underscore the words, they believed God. It didn't take the people long to understand that this was a man of God. You see, here's what we don't understand. When God calls us to do his will, sometimes it's very difficult and we run away from it, but when God calls us to do his will and maybe share our testimony or share our faith with someone else, he always prepares the person to whom we're going to share. Many times, we talk ourselves out of sharing the gospel with others because they're afraid we're going to reject them. And we forget that when God puts someone on our hearts, let me tell you, he's preparing the person to whom he wants us to share the gospel with. And this, this story tells us that all the while God is dealing with Jonah because of his rebellion, he's also preparing the hearts of the people of Nineveh to hear a message they had never heard before. But it would be a message that would transform their lives. God's word pierces their minds and they believe. They do not question. They put their faith in the God whom Jonah is speaking to them about. Now, there's been a lot of speculation as to why they believe so quickly. Some people uh, speculate that it was because since they're Orientals, uh, they were very emotional. And so they could be moved rather quickly by emotion. But that's not really the case. And others have speculated that word had gotten to Nineveh about this, this man that had been thrown overboard and uh, had been swallowed by this great fish. And so the story of Jonah kind of preceded him. I mean, wouldn't you like to hear a story from a man who claimed to be swallowed by Shamu? I mean, you'd, you'd, you'd want to hear, hear about that experience, wouldn't you? Well, all speculation aside, the fact of the matter is, Jonah preaches the word of God and God pierces their hearts and they repent. God is at work. Not only does the word of God pierce their hearts and penetrate their mind, it, it, it prompts 
it prompts a change of lifestyle. Look at verse 5. The people believed God. They called a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Now, a fast, when people were in trouble in the east, they would deny themselves food to call out to their gods. And here in this case, the people believe God and it pierces their hearts and they stop business as usual. And instead of going about what they had been doing, they stop and they sit in the dirt and they clothe themselves with this scratchy material uh, sackcloth and cover themselves with ashes because they understand how sinful they are and how much they need God. In fact, This happens to the people in the city, and what happens to the people in the city reaches the king. Notice in verse 6, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, and the king, be like the president, he covered himself, notice, verse 6, with sackcloth and sat in ashes. The mayor, the city, he sits in ashes. Here's someone who has never understood who the true God really is. But he sees the repentance of the people and he himself as their leader covers himself with sackcloth and he sits in ashes. And notice verse 7, he issues a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles let neither man nor beast nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but here it is. Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily not to their gods, small g. Look at the text. Call out to who? Capital G, God. Let me tell you, there is something when we obey God and do His will, those who have no knowledge of who God is begin to understand how great He is and how merciful and kind He is. The Bible says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so in this particular passage, we see that there is an awakening that starts and it spreads like wildfire throughout the city. I don't know about you, but I'm praying that something like this will happen in America. We are at a crossroads as a people and as a nation. And we, as the people of God, must set the pace. We must humble ourselves and pray and seek God's face. God wants to accomplish His will through every single one of us, but it will only happen when we submit ourselves to the truth of His Word. Many times God speaks to us and we argue with God, just like Jonah did. But when we submit to the Word of God, God will use us like He used Jonah in ways that Jonah had no knowledge of. And this revival started in the outskirts of the city. It moves all the way through that city, that three-mile journey. It gets to the king, and the king commands that people acknowledge God. They humble themselves and notice they call out mightily to God. In verse 9, 
God further opens the eyes of the king. Look at what he says. The king says this, let everyone turn from his evil way. You see, that's what repentance is. It is not only acknowledging where we've gone wrong, but then it is turning from that which we know is wrong and seeking God with all of our hearts. Notice, let everyone turn from his evil way and the violence. He's talking about the culture. He's talking about the culture of Nineveh, this city that is known for its militarism and its terrorism and all this. Turn from their evil way and from the violence, notice, text, that is in his hands, and then verse 9. Who knows? This is how God is working in the heart of this king. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn his fierce anger so that we may not perish. The king says to the people, if we will humble ourselves, if we will heed the message of Jonah, Maybe the God of Jonah may change his resolve. That is something that only God can do in the human heart. You see, our job is not to convert people. Our job is to share the gospel and let them know how much God loves them, how much God cares for them, how much God desires that they have a personal relationship to him. That leads us to the last point that I want to make here this morning, and that is this, that God spares the city. He spares the city. Verse 10. First, a couple things happen. First of all, he sees their repentance. What does he see? He sees an entire city on their face before him clothed in sackcloth and ash. They even withhold food from their animals. Notice the text. I mean, this is sincere repentance. They are turning away from all the evil. Remember, that was God's message to Jonah in the first place. And secondly, not only does God see their repentance, but he changes his resolve. Verse 10, notice... When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster he had said he would do to them, and he would not do it. There is something about coming clean before God and turning away from everything that we know in our life that is displeasing to him that causes him to shower us with mercy. We have been given so much. We here in America have heard this message over and over and over again. God has given so many of us second, third, fourth, fifth chances to respond to his mercy and love. And yet the human heart is so hard. The Bible says in the book of James, he says, to the one who knows to do right and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. When we disobey this book, 
when we kind of thumb our nose at God and think it's okay to just live however we want to live, we break his heart. Oh, how he longs to shower us with mercy. Oh, how he longs to save and bring us into a relationship with himself. But this book, this passage teaches us that sin holds people in bondage and the only one who is the bondage breaker is Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the one who can take us where we're at. Do you realize that God's favorite word is come? He never forces himself on anyone. He always is inviting us to come just as we are. That's what Jonah invited the people. Get rid of your sin. Come as you are. And they believed God. And they experienced brand new life. You see, that's what God wants to do in our lives today. He wants to make a difference. He wants to change us from the inside out so that we, so that we as a body can share his love. All over Valparaiso and Laporte and Chesterton, Northwest Indiana. That's the vision of our church, to impact Northwest Indiana. How are we going to impact Northwest Indiana? It's when we, as the people of God, obey God. We take advantage of the second chance that God gives us, and we live sold-out lives for King Jesus. Nothing less will do. Let's pray. Father in heaven, <clears throat> we come before you this morning knowing that when you speak, we have but one response, and that is obedience. <clears throat> so Lord, I pray that in these quiet moments, if there are those who have never yet surrendered to you, they have not taken your word seriously. But this morning, like the people of Nineveh, their hearts are broken and they want to meet the living God. As we sing this closing song and your spirit is moving among us, prompt those who need that kind of transformation to just step out of their seat and come here at an altar and experience the power of Jesus. A transformed life where they are accepted into the beloved and enjoy the presence of a living God every moment of every day. This I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing. I'm going to stay right up here. And if you'd like to meet Jesus this morning, you just come and we'll pray with you. Please bow your heads. We've all been given another second chance. Have you laid it all on the altar? Have you surrendered to Jesus? 
Do you want Him to make a difference in your life and in your circle of influence? I hope you do. And I trust that after we think about this, that if there's still resistance in our heart, that we would surrender that to the King and allow Him to change us so that we can change our world. Father in heaven, we love you. We've endeavored with the help of your Holy Spirit to be true to your word this morning. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that those that have heard the gospel once again, if they're not right with you, that you would keep on pursuing after them, that each one of us would renew and surrender our hearts to the King. Oh, I'm so thankful that your mercy is more. Your grace is more. Your love is more. Lord, you love us so much. Help us not to resist that love that you have for every single person. We praise you for your faithfulness. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God and that sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be yours now and forevermore. Amen. Do not forget, this is a time to give our benevolent gifts to the Lord on this communion Sunday. There will be baskets on the table for that as well as we want to encourage you to keep honoring the Lord with your tithes and offerings in the offering boxes. God bless you. Maranatha, lo, he comes. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.